Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I called Target to find something about like a baby thing. Yeah. And it was still like, um, like you ring up and it's just like, yo, we don't have PS fives. <laughs> it's like, just like, don't transfer to an apartment. Don't like, just, we do not have them. Like, please do not ask. And they just, I, that place should just start with, we yeah, do not we have, do tears, not of have tears of the kingdom. Oh. Yahoo I, anime rules. Have I ever told the story of how I bought my switch on the podcast? I guess not. Also, Rob, the podcast has started. I'm just letting you know. So, oh, okay. to get <laughs> to purchase my Nintendo Switch, which was my little birthday treat for myself, I was mm-hmm. uh, an age. No, I was 17. I was for my 17th birthday. I went to go pick up uh, a Nintendo Switch from the uh, from like a local like chain. Uh, and I drive there and I call them and I'm like, "Hey, do you have any?" And they're like, "Yeah, we think we think we're about to get a shipment." Uh, because like the, 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 it's still like really weird hours. And so I show up and they're like, Hey, so you're, (laughs) so you're too late, but we can tell you where the truck is going next. And so (laughs) I fucking hop in my vehicle and they tell me the next store location that the delivery truck is going to. And I fucking speed across an entire fucking city. I go to a different town to try and intercept this delivery truck with a Nintendo Switch and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. This is while my friend is having his birthday party, which he told me to leave to go do this because Mm -hmm. he was like, someone's going to get this fucking thing and you're going to bring it back here and you're going to put Legend of Zelda on this nice TV. And I said, okay. I'm going to do this. People just really wanted to recreate the commercial. Yeah. They did. They legitimately did. People were fucking like, people (laughs) genuinely startled by the device. It was very fun. It was was very cute. Uh, But I had to then go intercept the second truck. And I show up. I walk into the fucking counter. I'm like, do you have a Nintendo Switch? And they go, "Uh, I don't think so and then someone else walks in from the back and is like the truck just arrived and i was like i knew it and that's how i acquired there was there was a time i was at uh i think it was a target like my kids were roaming the 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 toy aisles when um again when these shortages were happening and they just happened to be pushing through like a bunch of ps5s and i just i just point i was like i was like oh you don't see those every day and and the guy just like his eyes widen, like realize, like knowing that I'd realized what one he had, and just started pushing the cart faster. I was like, I already own one guy. Like, oh, we're good. I got something. I, <laughs> I got it before it came out. There's there's uh, nothing worse than working retail and knowing that someone is gonna is gonna ruin your fucking day. Luckily, and then and then you just become panicked that it's gonna be everyone. And Patrick, you weren't gonna ruin that guy's day. No, but I am sure at that time. You have just dealt with so many exactly. people. You know what I mean? Like I didn't I didn't blame the poor no. retail workers response. So they they were they were making the appropriate response was to get away from the person asking about the PS5s as soon as humanly possible. See, if you work in a liquor store, 
the equivalent mm-hmm. to PS5 is like a case of cores that, you know, there was a like coupon deal advertised in the pa- in the paper that day that there's not enough inventory to honor. And so that is that is the equivalent of the uh, of that experience. Is What's you know, the like, discount? What's like what, what like wait, is, is it just shaving off a dollar and that's what allows someone to ter- determine between like Miller Lite, Coors Light and Bud Light when like those are more. I mean, I know people have their preferences on everything, but like. Broadly, so a distinction a without things, a difference. Um, like the so, like yeah, you can't actually do a very big discount and have much profit. Like it's not worth it to to a discount to like move volume. That's not how this is going to work. Um, the but what you can do is you can basically like cut your margin down to nil. And uh, the idea is that you do it with like while supplies last, uh, like ad in the paper, and people will come in. Looking for those supplies, you okay. don't have them. But <laughs> what are they going to do? Not give beer? Trip. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, right. But the problem is that is all well and good for the owner to be like, let's run that spread in the local <laughs> paper. But you, as stock boy and uh, like uh, you know till worker, are going to be front line on that. And there are some <laughs> people are going to take it in stride, being like, all right, yeah, whatever. I'll get this, you know, I'll get this case of high life or whatever, don't care. And then there's going to be people who are like, I'm sorry. I'm an American and I was told there was going to be a discount case of Coors here and you're telling me you don't have it and like you're just off to it, you're just off to the races. Can you imagine how fucking shitty it had to be to work at a liquor store during that like several week period where people were performing military executions of transgender Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine how oh, fucking awesome this, this video was like, had to be? The, there was the guy just like going down the aisle, just just smashing them. Trashing the wrong beer. I know. I believe that was. And then a guy like, got arrested later for assault. Like just real. <laughs> yeah, fucking course he did. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I know. I know. No, no, <laughs> no surprises being feigned here. Uh, I. So, Rod, did you have, because I remember the, the equivalent I had for this. So, I worked at a liquor store, but I spent a bunch of time working at uh, a Jewel Osco. And uh, I guess a bagger, and then I was a cashier. And the big thing that was always a bit, like, coupons just aren't what they used to be anymore. Like, it's just not really, it is a, a thing, but it is not, it used to be a coupon it's, culture. It's a subculture, but now it's like, it's, yeah, it's It's, it's become a subculture. Now. It used to be just part of the culture was like, you know, snipping out coupons out of the Sunday paper was like a ritual for families. And like, could save meaningful money if you were basing like your meals and stuff around them for the coming week. Um, but like, so even when it was a culture, there were still people who took it more seriously than others. And they tended to be like older folk and they'd come in and the them coupons would be expired. <laughs> and you know what I mean? And it's like, I had a certain amount of like latitude. I, like it was discouraged. It was like, look, like, is this person going to cause a fit? Is this going to become an incident in the store? You know, within reason, just like, you know, you there was a way to like let the coupon through or apply it manually. And then it was just like, don't be an asshole. Like, don't lose the company a bunch of money. So I never really had any incidents, but that was like the the, the room I had to work with. I'm giving the, I'm getting the impression you did not have like an option B for the for, for, for military Dan coming in looking for the for the Coors. No, uh, so not really because like the owner was a like notorious cheapskate. But yeah, the other but the, the other problem is like. There are people who've been conditioned to think that, like, of course, like, 
because nobody will want to make a fuss and I clearly will make a fuss. Therefore, I can bring in any expired piece of shit in my little bulging envelope full of coupons and be like, uh, I demand you honor this. And so in most in most cases, it's like, ah, hell with it. Yeah, like, just get out of my line. I don't yeah. have time for this. So, like, there was there was some latitude. Well, OK, there was actually a ton of latitude, Patrick, because <laughs> the one thing the store didn't have was electronic inventory. And inventory connected to point of sale. Okay. So a a bit of a trust system. (laughs) Really, ultimately, like whatever I rung up was the price. So like there were there were a lot of ways to get like there were a lot of ways just like sort of look at it and be like. Okay, I'll split the difference. Like, and just and yeah. just do it do it that way. Because uh, yeah, it was that's just that, that's like sorry. There's like twelve people in line. I'm the only person working the register. Like, this person has got to go. So you know mm-hmm. what? I'm gonna give you the deal that we're supposed to have in course. You're getting it on uh, a beer. I shouldn't be doing this on right. <laughs> yeah. Like cor- like uh, I forget Corona like, or something. That's exactly like a couple exactly. Bucks, like Coors uh, Light had the yeah. nicest packaging, but it was like high life tier beer. Really, yeah. if we're <laughs> talking like in terms of price <laughs> point. But like, if I, I was like, I'm gonna like MGD. If I did that to MGD, that is a tier <laughs> above Coors Light, and I just be like, fuck it. All right, you're get. We're out of Coors here. Have this case of MGD. But then, of course, <laughs> if you did that in front of other customers, then you'd cause other problems. Yeah. Yes, you got that yes. profound sense of injustice. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so like you would like a lot of times you would just sort of you would like if you were swamped and you just wanted to get people moving, fuck it, you get rolled on the coupon, whatever. If it's you and the customer one on one and they're being kind of entitled and you got all day. Oh, no, my friend. Oh, no, there's no deals to be done here. Enter the debate zone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, if you, if you see here, uh, that says while supplies last. That's that's pretty clear language. And if we consult the case 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 books on issues like this, <laughs> if you were to secure representation, let me just tell you, we would win. We being the the liquor store, but of course it wasn't we; it was the boss, and then I was just there uh, on the on the front line. Uh, anyway. But Patrick, I would kill to be uh, uh, like working the till or bag boy in the grocery store because I ended up being like uh, when I was in the grocery store, it was like the uh, floor walker, but it was like a lot of spa- spot janitorial work and like re- restocking and oh, so like, like the, the floating you know, around the store. Oh, like some just, dipshit kid went and like smushed the bread, and now I need to like that thing <laughs> made me anti-kid. <laughs> like you would not believe because like the sheer number of like, and I'm sure you know. I, I understand now. Mm-hmm. Kids just wear you down. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just give someone a thousand yard stare and you're just like, I couldn't I couldn't stop my child from doing this. But I would be <laughs> sitting there and being like, Your child threw <laughs> Wonder Bread like thirty cans of overpressured wildwood soda on the floor, so they all burst. No. And so this entire aisle is just filled with wildwood. Some of it's still spurting from these. Like, Welcome to Wildwood wounds. Country. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, and you're telling me you couldn't stop the kid after like can eight. Yeah, see, that's just, unacceptable. That is, look, kids get away with things. Yes, they try your patience, but th- th- that's that's bad parenting. I don't know. I don't. I don't care how bad a day you've had, <laughs> sir or ma'am. Yeah. What is I'm I'm actually curious because uh, this is along these same lines of 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 old weird jobs. Uh, what is like? 
did y'all ever work with like service work jobs? Yeah, I mean, like, no, like 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 tipped jobs, like like primarily mm, tipped jobs. No, I uh, I've like to this day am in this seems like a, such a silly thing in awe of like servers because I have horrible short term memory. Like the ability to I get stressed when like I like let's say I'm out with ten people and it's like mm-hmm. take everyone's orders, like go up and put it in, do the nice thing, like go stand in line everyone's got to write it down like on like an like on, on on a note thing like i will not remember where's my wife impeccable memory and it's just i know it's sort of goofy but like that put me off a lot of different like jobs of that ilk because they sort of require like a nimbleness mm-hmm. like your brain just has to be hooked up a certain way mine wasn't which is why i liked cashier like it was like here computer scan like yeah. more discreet thing in front of me um so i never really fell into the the, the pot of um uh, ones like that have tips. You can be a tipped cashier. There are there wow. are there are, there are a handful of places that do. I know because I was one. Uh, grocery store ain't, don't work that way. No, it's not no. A grocery store. No, <laughs> no, no, the jewel no, no, has to go with the pharmacy. Not <laughs> hey, was not one of them. Great bagging, bro. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, was, I worked at a diner slash confectionery. Uh, weird combo. Yeah, I know. Uh, however, uh, they like had us like, if you were like working the counter, you had to like make and like box and then like wrap people's candy for them. Mm. Uh, and so like, I was, I had like a weird half, half to, and then occasionally I would like act as a server, but like, I was, I was, I was just curious. Cause I think that like, there's also the, uh, emotional strain of having to flirt with strangers for higher tips, which is, which is, uh, effective, uh, but dark. <laughs> uh, I, I successfully got like a $50 tip uh, out of a couple of women visiting from Vegas once, um, which was, which was, which was fun. Yeah. No, nothing about having to uh, earn my wage that way sounds enticing. Just no, give me bad. the number and let me, and let me hit it. <laughs> let me hit my marks and go, go home. Apparently the people would. The, con- the confectioner diner though. That sounds like such an old school business though. Oh, Rob, like it was like, too that, old. So school. basically, you were like you were like you were not quite the soda jerk, but uh, like you were adjacent to the soda no, jerk. Okay, what are we defining as uh, uh, a soda jerk? Well, this is what I mean. Like you're you're in a place that's serving like candies. Yeah. Uh, like routine like diner fare. Yeah. And people sit at your counter and you make them little treats. Okay, Rob. Yeah. Would you consider me a soda jerk if I was hand mixing syrup oh, shit. for a cherry? Shit, you were a <laughs> yeah, soda jerk. Yeah, motherfucker. I made I made a I made the best goddamn cherry vanilla coke you've ever had in your fucking life. I figured out that syrup mixture perfectly. And also, let me let me be, let me be clear. Uh, that was not a like. <laughs> That was not like uh, uh, getting the syrup mix right in the fucking machine. No, no, no. I was doing that by hand in the glass. I made that shit excellent. Thank you very much. I also had to make some of the worst milkshakes you've ever heard of in your fucking life. Um, Like like custom creation sort of thing? Or just like what they were serving were just disgusting? So one day, I was there in the middle of the summer. Fucking hot as hell, completely dead inside. And I was talking with my coworkers, and this place didn't have like a drive-through window, but it did have a walk-up window uh, that no one ever fucking used. And my entire time working there, I think it was used like three times. I worked there for like two years. Whenever we were sitting there, and we just hear like a little, a little rap, rap, rap. We turn to the window. There's a woman standing there, and she goes, "Hi." And then we open the window. Someone, uh, our, our, the guy who became our manager, walks up, and she's like, "I like a chocolate milkshake." extra thick and already we were off to a bad start 
make the chocolate milkshake. She says it was too sweet. She asks us if we use the syrup or the powder. Stupid question. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, We say that we use the syrup. She says, well, I guess I'm used to the powder. And eventually she orders a lemon milkshake. Mm -hmm. uh, And using our lemon syrup. um, Okay. I don't want any. Yeah. Whoa, 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 I have a question. How does the lemon syrup interact with uh, the ice cream? With dairy, yeah. Yeah, fuck if I know. So, uh, <laughs> gets the uh, we make the lemon milkshake. Um, we hand it to her, and she walks away into the night. And then a few minutes later, it's not lemony enough. Okay. <laughs> the coworker Sarah takes the milkshake back, walks over to Thing, puts in a couple more pumps of lemon hands it back to her. This woman walks away into the night. And then a few minutes later, she returns. <laughs> Still not lemony enough. Hell yeah. Live your life. I watch, I watch my coworker put in enough lemon syrup that the fucking milkshake turns neon yellow. Oh I am worried that it is going to eat through the fucking cup, eat through the, fl- like, eat through the metal table that it's being made on, Go through the, into the basement and compromise the structural integrity of the whole fucking building. She hands this woman a nuclear milkshake, and she walks away. A woman returns a few minutes later and says it's still not lemony enough. And oh my asks god! For a refund? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Did you give the refund? We at Heggie's Confectionery did not do refunds. <laughs> I were not a price in the year 2017 when this story takes place do, in fact, do refunds. Mm -hmm. So I walked to the cash register, removed $4.25, the price of a milkshake, walked over to the woman, handed her $4.25, the price of a milkshake, and then I walked out to my car, got my wallet out of my car, removed (laughs) $4.25 from my wallet, walked back into the establishment, and put it into the cash register. A few minutes later, we we hear a knock at the window. I turn. The woman is standing there. I bought this during happy hour, which means that it was a dollar off. This refund was too much. So here's That's 50 good. cents back. That's... <laughs> oh, wow. 50 cents and a dollar, two different amounts of money. But you know what? Yeah. Who's, who's, to, who's to say <laughs> how that works? She had half a code. She had half, <laughs> exactly. So this is what, like... I think it was malpractice to have a place like that operating at any hours where there is not a bruiser of a line cook on premises at all times <laughs> who can go do customer service in those situations. No, I had a Reddit mm-hmm. meme lord for a manager. Um, oh, no. Very nice guy. Yeah. Very nice guy. He was a father, an excellent dad. Uh, one of those dudes who in high school was just like kind of scary and no one liked him because he was kind of frightening. Then he had a kid in high school. Totally fucking changed his whole shit. Very sweet man. Fatherhood fucking, ugh. Shout out Noah. But um, uh, that was that was the guy who interfaced and then he just gave up. He just, he was not, he was not <laughs> yeah. handling it. Yeah. Well, that is, uh, Kyle, you should cut all of that. And when you have time. Yeah. Put like creepy, like scary stories to a, tell in, uh, tell in the dark, like music <laughs> over that. Oh, like we easy. do an edit on that. Yeah. Like <laughs> Renata's tales of like soda jerk horror. Because every time it was, well, knock at the knock, knock at the window that nobody the like. The window. Like, let's be clear, 
That person wasn't from our realm. That was a fairy. Yeah. Oh, one hundred fucking playing pranks upon the mortals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, that woman. That woman had like one of the strangest energies I've ever encountered. And it's very being. good. You get you handled. You handled her well because otherwise she would have fucked you guys up. <laughs> she would have ruined us. That would have like, been and you wouldn't have known. You'd just be like, you been oh, why are my crops desiccating in the fields? Why is right. my mule sick? Right, like, I, I mean, like, this is, like, one of the, like, the two most cursed people I've ever interacted with. The other, like, fey interaction I had was when a woman yelled at me in a, star, in a Dunkin' Donuts for laughing too much and then threw $20 at me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, 20 bucks, though. Yeah, yeah, it was 20 bucks, but that was a cursed $20, which is why yeah. I took that $20 and I distributed it across every single person who worked in the Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> and myself. So I wasn't 100% cursed, just 20%. Being exposed to that that many people on a daily basis is bad. That's the problem with these jobs. You just don't need to see that much of society. Mm. I miss you. What's good, Internet? It's May 9th, 2023, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 565. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Putting the music in at 22 Patrick minutes? Oh, my God. <laughs> Renata Price, you tried. Hi, I'm here. Hello. A producer is technically by their name, but, I mean, arguably, so we, so, we're working against it. What the f- Hello, Waypoint. For the past couple of weeks, I've been thinking about The Witcher 3 and how I'm never going to play it. I've owned and had the game installed on my desktop for almost a year. I played the intro quest of this game five separate times, and after that, every other month I'd start it up, stare at the main menu, and then turn it off. This has left me with the same feeling I felt when I was 11 years old and attempted to read the Bible my parents had in our house. Frustrated and lost. I've decided The Witcher 3 just isn't for me and have moved on. Have you guys ever felt this way or similar? Appreciate the response. I'm a huge fan of everything you guys do. Uh, Andres, 7 March, 2017. Separate question related to this. Uh, A couple months ago, we went to a wedding and my oldest kid stole a Bible that was in the hotel, brought it home, put it in their bag. And then I wasn't sure what to do with it. Well, hang on. The, like, the Gideon is—if it's a Gideon Bible, like kind of that's meant to be stolen, right? Like it's meant to. Yeah, yeah. No, it was they just want like we'll take that. We don't need this in the home. Like, do I just put it in the trash? Uh, do you already have a Bible in the home? <laughs> no, we don't. Well, then uh, maybe Jessica does need it in the home. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Sp- hey, wait, Patrick. Have your kids found solace in Christ? She does ask about heaven, and then we're not sure what to say. She's hearing things at school, and then I'm not sure what to. Oh, mm. nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> well, maybe Dad will find out and let you know. <laughs> See, you know how your friends sometimes say things that are like bullshit, but they've heard it from their parents, and like you know, you know these things aren't true, but you just kind of have to be polite. Well, that that's uh, mm-hmm. that's that's Christianity. I don't know what happened to that Bible. I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm just going to put it in the trash. She's like, that's, I'm not religious, but come on. And I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to ignore this problem then. And uh, I don't know what happened to that Bible. So good luck to it. I do. I, I actually do have a feeling, though, that like, it almost seems like I, I've seen this pattern so much in my own family where it's like devout parents, mm-hmm. atheist kids, mm-hmm. like 
Not devout, but is like the reverse, deeply agnostic. Is the reverse going to be true? There's a bit of that I've seen, too, <laughs> where it's like parents who are like, I don't give a shit about like the church or any of that stuff. And then well, it's t- so, OK, like, frankly speaking, what's, what's tough about it is that it's it's weird to like talk to your kid about the absence of a belief. And then in a vacuum, kids just suction up everything around them. Right. So they have some friends that are like their families are like not knocking down yours, but like they're religious. And so yeah. like she's heard ideas. And so in the absence of me sitting down and being like, hey, we think there is just a void at the end of this and darkness. Enjoy your life. If she's told, hey, like there's like a place for you to see. Like, you know what? Like I had a, would hope to be wrong. That sounds cool. Like I'd like to see my dad again. That'd be but sick I'm not, as hell. I don't know that I can like sit. I don't know if the responsible parental thing is to like dismantle this thing you've inserted with the absence of information. I just have to trust that like you'll make your own decisions as you get older and then I'll deal with those. And that's sort of where you end up with things. But it does make it a little bit odder. I'm just like, yeah, like I guess there could be angels. I will say, though, like I don't think a uh, like hotel Bible is going to be an effective gateway into uh, like Christianity. Like I'll just no. like I don't <laughs> think it's as, as like as a uh, – like as a manual or strategy guide uh, for the for the product, I for don't the think answers. it has. I don't think it quite has the the pole anymore uh, that that it used to. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, what are, so what are the games that like you've been sitting there and like I'm gonna get around to you someday. I'm gonna handle this. I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this. Oh, just haven't quite found the time for it. For me, really, that is like playing most of Breath of the Wild. To be honest, I didn't get that mm. until like that holiday season. By which point. A lot of people kind of moved on and it was I was playing it over travel, like a busy travel season. And I just it was too disjointed. And I was like, I'll come back to this. Like once I settle in back at the apartment and like have time to really put into it. And I didn't quite get there. I think in my head, I can't remember if it lines up this way. I feel like Stardew ended up absorbing a lot of the energy Mm. around around Mm. like when I was like settled back or maybe was on a trip and I was like this oh, is Rob's this is writing the wild. greatest throwaway blog that did the most traffic for Waypoint ever era. Oh, that's right. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if that number is actually true, but it's it's certainly top 10. <laughs> I mean, it, it's certainly my it's certainly my all-timer. Uh, it is. Like it I is never Rob- wrote a higher trafficking <laughs> post than the throwaway hey what if we just posted a like open thread question at the start of every day? We did. And we I was like, like here's we- a traffic monster. Yes, we, we used to do a thing, um, sort of like the height of Waypoint's editorial, like written focus, where we would rotate on a daily basis. Someone just had to write like, it was just meant to be like a, an open comment section, but like give it a theme. And so you just wrote like 300 words. And Rob's was like this Stardew Valley. What what was the what was the title of that? Uh, something, something self-portrait, unflattering self-portrait. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just went through it, PDF'd all of my, all of my material. And what, so now what? My browser is showing me is like, Patrick, what have you written about Stardew Valley? Um, the Stardew Valley modder who added jerk off schedules for every guy. Oh, hell like, yeah. You know, just classic bangers classic from, from the art character. Do men, wait, do men schedule that? <laughs> yes. Kato, Kato found it. Uh, when a game <laughs> becomes a troubling psychological self portrait. Yes, yes. And this thing just like, not only like took off, but then kept doing. For so like we, literal years, we should. And actually, we should. I wonder if there's a way to. Oh, we've probably changed 
back-end traffic. You know what I mean? Like, can we pull or that? Or been dist- forced to change because of <laughs> Vice's ability to support certain tools. Yeah. I was like, in my head, I was like, I wonder if we can pull, you know, the top 10 articles that we've, that we've ever published and if that would tell us something. But I don't know how reflective that would data would actually be of the six years. I don't know. Do you, do you like hang out in metadata for website pages? <laughs> do you, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to dig into the fucking source code for that, for that page? Cause that's the only way you're going to find that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, you know, those articles tell a story of like what we like tried to do here. Um, I just, Dev and that tools. one always makes me laugh. Like that, that story, especially because you, did you really get into Stardew Valley or were you just poking at it? I got pretty far into it, but the, you know, the article was really about like watching MK get mm. really into it because like, uh, Hey, in retrospect, we hadn't, uh, she had yet to receive her diagnosis for really intense ADHD. Like mm-hmm. that makes mine <laughs> look like makes me look as if I'm an ADHD baby, uh, <laughs> compared to, compared oh, to her. So cute. <laughs> it was like, it was a test result that like the, the people doing like the, the, the neuropsych eval were like, so you're so ADHD that like, it's basically impossible to recognize as ADHD. Um, (laughs) It's like, it's so far like beyond the the curve uh, that it's, it's kind of hard to, to really identify (laughs) as such. Um, So I think in retrospect, like this is also a, Oh, like this is a thing about hyper-focus and not fully recognizing like the signs for what they are. Uh, But yeah, the, um, yeah, this is like I was I was into it and I was enjoying it. And I was like, hey, you should play this game, but it's it's cute, it's sweet, it's got a good vibe. And then she was like, I have to run the most efficient farm in history and maximize every relationship. And so this game is basically the most stressful thing in the world because I'm speed running every day, uh, like just watering the shit out of my crops, killing <laughs> things in that cave, talking to all my people, and you know, really min-maxing uh the the valley. I was trying to think of a game. I feel like part of the question is asking a game that you've tried to get into over and over again and then failed. I don't have a ton of those, but like I know a game that like sometimes you'll play a game and you just need to recognize that like you're not enjoying it and you should just stop. Like we were talking about Fallout uh, 4 briefly on the on the previous podcast and like me trying to wrap my head around uh not really liking the like town building stuff. And like, th- that was just like early indications that maybe this game w- was not for me, but like, I, I m- like maxed like my time in Skyrim, Fallout three and Fallout New Vegas. Like all of those games are like 150, 180 hour adventures to me. Like not the way I normally play games, but I did literally everything, even the shit that was boring and I shouldn't have done. Cause I just wanted to stay in those places longer. And then Fallout four comes out and it was like 40 hours in where I finally just like had to have a hard talk with myself. I was like, you're not enjoying literally any of this. <laughs> what are you doing? And I was like, but if I just keep playing, I'll I'll find Fallout 3 in here. Like, I'll find that thing like that I put all those hours into. And it's just eventually like I. That game doesn't exist. That's not this game. You don't like this game. That's OK. Uh, and I eventually put it down. But I still think about it. Like, what if I went back? Maybe I would like it this time. And instead, I just need to be disappointed in Starfield instead. It's probably what, <laughs> what I need to turn, turn my eyes towards. Uh, one of these days, I'll actually go back and finish the main campaign of Battletech. 
uh, a game which I put like twenty five ish hours into, you know, like. But I, you just left Cormadir under the jackboot of tyranny. Yeah, I don't know what if the does the rebel like, like tyranny. I don't like Wait, tyranny. No, Kata, and you I liked like that tyranny? game. Well, but you like the, the status thing. quo. <laughs> I hit, I hit, I hit, um, the DLC dropped before I hit the end of the game. And then there was a bunch of things Aww. I was like, ah, I should go back and start over. And then I started over and just like mm-hmm. lost steam because I had to do other, I had to like play other games. But like it, it's a thing that I really do want to finish someday. Maybe they'll find some time soon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe your schedule's about to open up. I like how you said that coyly, as if we didn't hadn't already announced that we were extremely laid off. (laughs) Ren, what's on? uh, What's what's your like? You've had it out. You're looking at it like any day now. Uh, I think there's like a couple of like classics uh, and like you know things that feel like required reading for the kinds of games that I'm interested in. Uh, You know, I've been putting off Planescape Torment for a minute. Uh, I started it uh, and was like, I don't like how this guy looks. I don't like I don't like his I don't like his whole vibe. Uh, and then I kind of fell off of it. Um, and then I also want to like dip into at least Baldur's Gate 2, uh, ideally one and two. Um, so like a lot of like old CRPGs uh, in terms of things that I've actually like started. Uh, honestly, probably Planescape is the is is the best answer that I have there. Um, I want to, I want to like go back to like the classics of like CRPGs and like kind of take it to them. So, uh, we're all coming off a, I hope a relaxing and restorative weekend. Uh, we can put this, we put this letter from six years ago aside now. <laughs> uh, so let's see, uh, Ren, you've been playing some dark. So 1.0 darkest dungeon is that yes. like, is out, out. It's fully yep. dark. Like, all right. Yep. So fully darkened. So, there's this GDC talk by Warren Spector, where he kind of does a, post- a post-mortem on the original Deus Ex, and he talks about how uh, that game was bad and kind of not fun up until a month before release, at which point kind of all of the systems started singing together and, and, and the whole like product clicked, and it became you know Deus Ex, the thing that everyone remembers. I wouldn't say that they've made a Deus Ex here, however... I will say that that arc is accurate to Darkest Dungeon 2 and the way I felt about it, which is that, like, the entire time that I've been following this game throughout Early Access, through its entire run, I have been watching it, like, slowly try to coalesce into something coherent. And there have been, like, fragments here or there. The updated relationship system, really good in theory, wasn't sure about it in practice. Now I really like it. Uh, The progression, like, the meta-progression, now actually like feels satisfying and like makes every run feel like it was worth your time. Um, the characters are finally really singing with one another and having like really unique like combo moments. Um, so like if the original Darkest Dungeon was about like making a good character or making good characters and putting them in a party together, um, Darkest Dungeon 2 is about finding interesting compositions and like finding interesting combos between characters. Um, So you're talking about setting up and paying off actions within the same turn, as opposed to one character setting up their action on turn A and then actually completing it on turn B. Um, And I think that, like, it's really come together in, like, a a pretty impressive way. 
the final character that they've added to 1.0 is like probably my favorite in the game right now. Um, how much uh, Darkest Dungeon did everyone here play? Um, just so I have a reference point. Uh, Patrick Nunn, Three. Rob? No, uh, like first act. First act? Okay. Kato? Nothing. Remember? <laughs> well, yeah. we played on yeah, stream. That was the whole premise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the flagellant is a uh, character from Darkest Dungeon 1 that does uh, basically like hits himself with like a cat of nine tails and like does a bunch of bleed damage. Uh, and is this class that like does self damage while also applying bleed and like has some like support effects. They took that character in Darkest Dungeon 1 uh, and made him into an undead guy. Uh, and changed his damage type from bleed to poison. So now he's an undead who, by flagellating himself, gets poison all over people. And gross. I think that's that's gross as hell. And it's really sick nasty. as fuck. Yeah. Uh, and mechanically excellent. Uh, he is like one of the most satisfying characters in this game. Where he is like constantly either sacrificing his own health to buff other people. Or unsettling other people to buff himself. Um... And there's this like great back and forth of trying to keep him under control. And also he has like a different relationship to the stress system than other characters. It's really fun. Uh, and so like, I think that Darkest Dungeon 2 has managed to come together in this like final act uh, in like a pretty, a pretty impressive way. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy about it. Your big reservation was that it was like just obnoxiously difficult. Um, and I'm curious where the difficulty ended up after like all that because it just sounded like it was it was out of whack uh in in terms of like its balance and and how it all worked um where are you at with that right now so kato you can probably also speak to this a little bit from the, from the time we had with the game i actually think it's in a pretty good place we're like from what from what we played together like mm. we died because we made bad decisions uh in yeah. that first run but then the second run was like a lot more put together and i think that like it is a game that does allow you to recover. Um, it's hard to recover, but it does allow you to recover. Uh, it is not interested in like fully death spiraling you. Uh, one of the things in uh, an interview I talked to uh, Tyler and Chris, the co-founders of Red Hook, uh, they was like talking to them about their like approach to sequel design um, and like ability design like writ large. And one of the things I asked them about Darkest Dungeon 2 was like, one of the fundamental design pillars of the original Darkest Dungeon was that sometimes the game just kills you. Uh, that was a design pillar, was that like sometimes you go into a run and your entire team is going to get fucking wiped. Uh, that is not a pillar in Darkest Dungeon 2, but it is still true. We're like, there are some situations where like you'll be in a run and then you hit a thing that just kills you. Uh, and that still feels like a bummer uh, sometimes when like you when you when you hit that. However, you also have that feeling of like really pulling it out uh, if you come up against one of those things. And then to use Kato and I's recent stream as an example, have like five virtuous hits uh, in a <laughs> yeah. row where we maxed character stress meters and they self healed and gave themselves a buff instead of doing damage to themselves and like ruining all of their relationships, um, which is like a random chance that can happen. And so like the feeling of like, hope in the face of a world that can just kill you is actually like i think coming together really well here yeah. uh, and like that is the game's central theme uh is that that feeling of hope in a world that can just straight up kill you whenever it wants and it you know it has the kind of um standardized or not standardized but you know classically 
obviously roguelike to the part of the point is you will die at some point and like take something forward on the next run. But it had that thing where like there was that early boss that, you know, you can push your luck on. And that was what ended up really kind of ending our first run was we pushed our luck. We shouldn't, we probably shouldn't have engaged that boss, but um, we did did anyway. It's just, yeah, we did beat it and we're left in a position where there was no, there was, there was one person left on the team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but the, but that was like our choice to push our luck, you know, to try to see how far we can go in that scenario. So it didn't feel necessarily unfair or like the game kind of punching us in the teeth without us being like, Oh, we made the decision to go there, even though it, it told us like you can just back out now. It's consensual tooth punching, <laughs> a little <Yeah>. bit, yeah. <laughs> and also, like I, I was pretty uncertain about the original. Uh, so the original relationship system, to explain it pretty quickly, characters would form relationships, and then that would carry over the course of the entire run. Uh, in this version of the game, characters can develop relationships based on their affinity with one another, uh, and those relationships carry from one in. So, like, one area. So, like, people will become, like, amorous, for example, for one region of the game. And then get to the inn, and then it checks where their relationship is at again. And it's like, oh, these people have fallen. Let me roll the, are they going to get another positive relationship check again? And maybe they don't. And maybe those characters, like, break up amicably uh, and, and there's this like sense of dynamism to these relationships that I think really, really helps the, the storytelling here. Um, cause there were moments with, with the original relationship system that I like really loved. Uh, I had a character, a set of characters break up in the middle of a boss fight, uh, <laughs> and then still manage to pull off the boss fight in its last seconds. Or another pair of characters got together in the middle of a boss fight that they eventually lost, uh, and this this like feeling of these two characters like finally finding hope within one another and then being ground to dust by this boss was like that's a sick story that is like a really cool narrative of these like two women at the end of this at the end of this mission just like going down together um and i was like sad that uh this version of the game like didn't have that but i've actually come around on it and think that the relationship system that they've they've put in there is like dynamic uh in a way that the original one was not um and also, like, mechanically way more satisfying. Uh, the original system had characters, like, do interrupting barks to, like, be like, good job! Uh, or, you barely even hit him. Uh, to, like, piss each other off uh, <laughs> if they were, like, working with an enemy. Uh, or, like, sorry, if they had, like, a negative relationship. And instead, what they have now is that they just straight up buff one of your abilities. When two characters have, have a positive relationship with one another, your abilities just get stronger. Uh, and then the opposite is true of negative relationships where your abilities get like a downside. Um, so for example, uh, one of the relationships that Kato and I saw, every time we used one of our abilities, one of our other characters would like yell about it because they were annoyed by the other person. And in doing so, they marked themselves uh, as like with a taunt uh, because they couldn't shut the fuck up and let the other person just do their thing. And like, I think that's like a really cool um, a really cool way to do it where you still feel like there's counterplay. If you have a bad relationship, you can just play around that using that ability as much as possible, um, which makes it like a lot more intentional, which I think is like the greatest strength of Darkest Dungeon 2 is making like player decision and player choice a lot more intentional throughout the entire experience. Well, that sounds like a long way off from where we were about 
a month ago, uh, as you started alluding to up top. Uh, that's that's really good news for Darkest Dungeon too. Uh, look forward to hearing more uh, in Waypoint Radio down the. Oh no. We're running out of road for this podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> we may never revisit that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here uh, for some ads. But before we do, I have to read an email per the per the new rules. Mm-hmm. Dear advocates of an egalitarian mixed economy with great public services, including free health care, fewer costs, fewer guns and different personalities, but also sweet merch stores for the jealous. Can someone play MLB the show if they don't know anything about baseball? I love sports and watch almost anything. However, I never got into baseball, and as a European, I know nothing about it through cultural osmosis. And yet, this game sounds good, and I have Game Pass. Can I make it work? FCGH, Ryan. So, uh, I think yes. Um, I I think, like, (laughs) everything I hear about cricket doesn't entirely sound totally alien from baseball like it's alien enough that i have trouble following the actual game but like in terms of like like roles and like roster construction i don't know there's some there's some commonality but i think the big thing is uh baseball's also slow right like that's the advantage you have mm-hmm. like most of the game is people standing in place so you know what i mean like figure stuff out there are individual, you know, when you watch hockey or basketball or football, you are watching a sort of like symphony of like individual roles play out at once. And that's not to say that sometimes that doesn't happen in baseball, but largely it's like like pitcher throws ball, batter hits ball, which then involves new. But it's like it's, it's very individualized as opposed to like 12 things happening at once, executing like a choreographed play, which is I think where some of the aesthetic stuff gets confusing. Kato, you're going to say something. I was just going to say there's no out of bounds, so there's a lot less hopping and catching the ball in baseball than, you know. I mean, there's foul. Sure. But, I mean, did you see that thing about cricket where, like, there was, like, a rules, like, dispute about whether or not you could touch the ground and be out of bounds but not touch the ground, catch the ball, throw it back to yourself in bounds, land and run over and catch it? There's like a whole thing. Oh, so they ran into an infield fly roll situation. Like basically they could they could. Yeah. If the ball was going out, if you jumped Mm -hmm. and were in the air Mm -hmm. when you made Mm -hmm. contact with the ball and then tossed it back inbound, landed, went over and caught it like it was still good. (laughs) Um, That should be allowed. Yeah, that should be allowed. But there's no like there's no that baseball is missing. That is what I'm saying. Like Mm. comparing Mm -hmm. baseball Mm -hmm. to cricket. Uh, so the other thing I would say, though, is and this is like MLB, MLB is kind of in this vein. I think you're more management heavy games like out of the park or um, football manager, that kind of stuff. I always kind of feel like. You know how like, OK, so I think there's a through line sort of that connects things like uh you know, there's like your mercenary management tactics, RPGs, right? Your your battle tactics, your war tales. Uh, there is your like party based like tactics game where like you were almost more the coach picking your lineup. I think Darkest Dungeon kind of fits in this mold a little bit where you're like, here's the here's the way we're going to here's here's the team I'm bringing to the field. Let's see how they do. And none of these games can go as buck wild as a sports game can in a lot of ways because sports games are made for people who at the upper tier of investment really know these games inside and out. There's a referent 
there's a reference object out in the world that you're trying to simulate that has a ton of data about it. And so I often think like, you know, if you're like, uh, can I play this? Can I play this, play the sports game? If I don't know anything about it, think of it not as a baseball game. Think of it <laughs> as a, uh, like mercenary management RPG mm-hmm, fighting mm-hmm. battles that yes, you don't understand, but you will, but you will start to understand how the number numbers come together, uh, and what you, what your constraints are. And I think like the thing that is kind of appealing about these things is you can just keep going with tweaking it and like optimizing for different strategies. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of the appeal, the, the appeal. Like I think, you know, if you're if you're ever at a point where you're like, you know, man, Battletech's great, but I wish this entire thing were just about like running twelve mercenary companies all at once, <laughs> making sure the books the books added up and like we had the right mix of like Max and pilots and such. That Battletech game doesn't exist, uh, and 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 kind of can't, but a sports game does, and uh, that that I think is is where you can where you can end up. Uh, although There's I guess two, maybe it does kind of exist with that Battletech mod uh, that can bring your computer to a screeching halt. Um, what is <laughs> yeah. that called again, Ren? Battletech 3062. Yeah, 3062. But even uh, there, you know, some constraints. <laughs> yeah, you're not quite getting that. Uh, I guess two things. One, if you're just trying to get into it, like the the, uh, the ability to arcade, like the like to remove the sim parts and mostly just like hit a swing stick Whack ball, <laughs> home run. Um, I mean, you can see that live at twitch.tv slash waypoint. Um, for now. For now. No, I think, I, well, I, I truly think this company is not going to go through these steps of no. turning off the Twitch account. So I, until, until like the rules change. I'm not sure change the company on, can get into the Twitch account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, well, sometimes there were, tr- we had trouble getting into the Twitch account. So, you know, like <laughs> problems all around. Um, but you can, you can, you can, arca- you can really make it. Like very simple from an interface perspective to just like throw the ball, hit the ball. And so like you're just trying to grapple with like the very basics of like reducing uh, the sim aspects to like playing elementary school baseball. Like it is possible Two, I've never played it, but I do wonder if there's like a side answer to this that doesn't involve and will be the show. But is it like a uh, blaze ball? Right. And that's what that's what that was called. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I didn't play it, but like it has some of the construction and like theming of baseball. But obviously um, there's supernatural like it's weird. But I wonder if like that is a way that like you can conceptualize the sport of baseball without having to get into the nitty gritty of the actual sport right away. But I don't know if that would actually be a, a viable path into understanding. Uh, this person wants to play the game, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, like baseball yeah. is different. Like this thing's on Game Pass. It's like I can mess around with this big management thing with like where is elements. where is my like equivalent of this stuff has died out as like leagues got very serious about owning like mutant league football mutant league hockey were some of my favorite fucking games mm. growing up um we just don't have anything like that anymore like where you can just have like and i guess that's from an era of like nba jam arcadey style stuff but i don't know i just wish there was i wish there was more variety in how the sports stuff was was handled and we just don't it's all sim or or management and like there's 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 almost nothing in in between these days uh, all right, that does it for our, that little quick uh, dip into <laughs> the the uh, question bucket. We're gonna take a quick break, and remember, Waypoint Plus listeners can get could get this app podcast ad free. Learn more at waypointplus.com and uh, see how you can fill this break with nothing. All right, <laughs> back after this. 
Uf. Okay. So this weekend, I was like, I'm going to give Redfall a little more time. Mm. Another chance. Yeah. How'd that go? Look, we can be optimistic. We can hope. <laughs> so it was weird. Uh, first of all, I gave it many chances. I will say the uh, it was not really time well spent because there were a lot of crashes. A lot mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. uh, in my weekend with the game, there were quite a few crashes uh, that would sort of bring things to a halt. And you have to go through the whole like five minutes of like, you know, re- getting back to where you were. And then because, of course, like you're not saving mid-mission, each time you get a crash, you're sort of kicked back to the firehouse. And it's like, I guess I start this run from scratch. Um, But the thing that was really startling, and I don't know if this is just like patches taking hold uh, during during the time since we played it, but um, I was I was surprised how different it felt, not just in terms of playing alone uh, and sort of like having that solo play style, but also in terms of in places, it felt like it was a different game with a different level of dynamism in the game world. The thing that really startled me was um when we were playing together, it felt consistently inert. Like we were walking around like an empty MMO server almost. Mm-hmm. Um and just like shooting like dipshit uh you know AI enemies and such. And it was just like really, really passive. The game wasn't de- there was nothing happening in the world, very little to react to. It's just you turn a corner, like hey there's some cultists and a vampire and we just shoot them and that's that. Uh, playing alone, I was kind of surprised to wander into like repeated like raging gun battles between Bellwether Mercenaries, which is the organization the sniper is originally from. Uh, mm. He is this like uh, PMC who got dumped in here and then, uh, you know, turned into a vampire hunter or whatever. But like Bellwether is this like faction in the game that's out there in the world. And compared to the human cultists, they're recognizably different. They are much better equipped. But the thing that is really striking about them is all of them are carrying uh, huge like laser sights on their guns. So visually, they're very cool because when you see a bellwether uh, squad moving through the world, their arrival sort of heralded by sweeping red laser sights. Uh, like like sort of swinging across the landscape and then they will get into it with cultists and vampires and you will like run into absolutely wild raging gun battles between like this mercenary army and the vampire army and it's absolute chaos and also they will open fire on you if they see you but they will prioritize vampires as well and mm-hmm. so like you kind of have these like three-way gun battles between you the vampire faction the mercenaries etc and it really did change up like how not just like a lot of the world felt but also changed how you like navigate terrain cuz you're like oh there's you know if that bellwether squad spots me uh in general they behave like snipers they do have like some assault troops but in general like the thing you have to watch for is they will continually flush you out of your position because the guys with the laser sights once they settle on you after a beat 
there's like a high damage like sniper round uh, that arrives there. So you kind of have to keep moving. So once they spot you, you are going to be like continually sort of prodded along, uh, which does make it so that you're more likely to also stumble into bigger trouble with like, you know, vampires you didn't spot and such. And it was just this weird thing of like the action felt way more coherent. Mm. Uh AI enemies like fighting each other, fighting you, like running around, taking cover, uh, you know, doing a lot of like more interesting things than I was seeing during our session, which was people just trooping along a path and kind of just marching into your gun sights until like you hit they hit an aggro radius and would finally like start shooting back. And so it was it was such a weird experience playing the game alone that I was like, did is it that like even in a matter of days, the game was just uh, some of the, the stuff happening in the game has like gotten better uh, via patches or is some of the just the way the multiplayer is working and like clearly it was so shaky. It was like barely mm, yeah. holding itself together. I don't know if this makes any sense, but is it possible like entire features weren't were basically not activating during our session? Maybe. Um, I, mean, I, I came across one of these fights as well um, in the brief time that I was playing solo and was struck by was like, oh, right. Okay. This probably explains why some of the far cry, like, well, arcane was making these comparisons, but saying like, Hey, actually we don't think this game is our take on a left for dead, but it's actually closer to us trying a far cry. And if you were to imagine a game with a sprawling map, vampires, factions, like you would imagine a lot of scenarios, like exactly what you're describing where, Hey, the things will be happening in the world and you can choose to, or to not interact with them. And you're absolutely right that we got, zero versions of that when we played as a group and so i don't know like how spawn counts are you know like like affected by having multiple characters if we are just not running we just had a bad because kyle was saying it always felt undertuned it always felt like there just wasn't enough so i will say this i had a short interview with harvey smith when i demoed this game one of the things he said is that like he was like i think that i would like this game a bit more if it had some more friction in it and like I, 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 you can so clearly see mm-hmm. once you like realize this, like the Far Cry comparison or the other game that was referenced, the Stalker comparisons. You can mm. see like the echo of of what this game could have been in those moments. The world in which you have to really fucking scavenge to be able to take on these vampires and to be able to like you know navigate these like factional dynamics. There's a really excellent idea here and like a pretty good outline. The game just doesn't feel like we're all the way there. Like, give me the feeling of walking across that exact fight you're talking about, Rob, and then watching it and then being like, cool, I'm going to go scavenge those bellwether guards for scraps. Because like, did, were there only three of them in that fight against like 15 cultists? Yeah, but those motherfuckers had good guns that let them stand their own against 15 cultists. And like right now the game just does not have that because the enemies don't drop anything interesting. There's not like a reward for like engaging in those scenarios other than like, oh yeah, you found a cool chest. Like, no, I want that motherfucker's gun. I watched him like take out three people with it. And like, we don't, we don't have that right now. Uh, and that's a bummer. Yeah, and like... Even the um, I don't know. It has that it, it has that issue? I feel like run into with a lot of like loot driven games where there's just kind of a everything feels like kind of a it's pulling from like a random drop table, and so there isn't a sense of like I want to go to the bellwether like position to see what good shit they have because like it feels like you open a a chest that they have in their sniper nest, and like you're as likely to get the same trash 
uh, as as anywhere else. Uh, yeah, you're, de- you're dealing with even in the first opening hours. There's t- too much management of oh my stuff God. happening, and they and they make it easy enough to get rid of it. But it's just, I was like, wow, like the the, the notion of doing this for another you know, 20 hours or whatever over the course of, of a campaign. It is absolutely the kind of game that I, I'm i happy to revisit it, but I just see no reason to touch it for another six months, right? Like, by the end of the year, if, like, Rob, you and I are like, hey, like, let, let's go give Redfall, like, another genuine chance. Like, they're, I'm sure at that point, like, you know, the DLC that they've got planned will be coming out. Like, maybe it's, maybe it's not a great game, but maybe, like, it's a better version of like exactly what you're describing. Maybe that's happening more often and the loot tables are better. And like, I don't think there's a world where Redfall is dishonored, right? Like, I don't no. think it's ever going to achieve those highs. That said, I think there is enough here that you could stitch together something that was pretty fun. And especially if it's like you have a game pass subscription, I, I hate like using that as a qualifier. Cause it's just like, it's, it's kind of condescending, but you know, I, I can imagine a version of this game that was, fun and like a good thing to do with some friends even if it doesn't feel like it has hit the really high highs that arcane has in the past and we've sort of come to expect from them and i think it's fine to expect that from a studio that you expect hey when that logo appears like you know maybe not necessarily from a it has to be this type of game but i expect this like class of game to go along with it and i don't think redfall is going to quite get there but like you see windows of that like like in that and it's like i don't know if they'll be given the chance to do it maybe the team is not capable of it I don't know, but there is a world where like this game is a more cohesive, interesting experience, even with what is in in front of it right now. It it really feels like I don't know how or why, but like the multiplayer of it all feels like is the thing causing the most issues, honestly. Like I mean they hadn't made multiplayer games before, right? Like this is their first stab at that. As far as I know, um, yeah, I pray didn't have anything, right? I don't no, so. I don't think it did. Um, and and like, no, I mean, like when I did like the opening mission by myself, I was like, okay, this is like not blowing my socks off, but there's something interesting starting here. When I did like, I got up to like level three with a solo character before we played, um, and then it's just like the world felt so much dead, more dead when we were all together, cause like, yeah. It, it like does yeah it did it doesn't adjust it was like it turned off yeah it like doesn't it, it, I don't think it even changed really I think it just doesn't adjust for more people existing other than like maybe giving the enemies maybe. a little bit more health or something but like, I don't know. like the density like we didn't see it, we didn't wrong. see it once yeah. we didn't yeah. see it once yeah and like that's that feels is that uh it, what's so odd about the state that it's shipped in is like is it just a glitch, right? Like, is it is it clearly like, you know, this is oversimplifying, but like on the back end, like that yeah. just didn't turn on. Like those things are just not spawning in, in the world. Like it's it's impossible to say. We also never saw the Rook, which may be a later addition mechanically. Have, are y'all familiar with the Rook and what that whole thing is? Mm. Okay, so this game has like a world boss that like roams the world. And like every time you, and this is why the stealth system is important um, in the like why it is important to like kind of like be a little bit more stealthy. Uh, there is effectively this thing called the Rook that is this extremely, extremely powerful vampire that is basically like the right hand of the vampire gods that gets summoned to fight you if you get detected too many times. Oh. Uh, huh. And so if What's basically you can either run away from... There's a bar that shows at the top. Uh, oh, Okay. 
you can either run away from it or fight it for like really strong rewards. And so it is like a world boss in that way, where like that is the moment where you're supposed to be like really tested by having like to combine all of your abilities to like handle this like superior threat. And I think that one of the problems with this game is that like they have that one spike of having to handle a superior threat, but at no point when we were playing, which by the way, what, what difficulty were we playing on? Hardest, slightly above normal, I think. The right? midnight, uh, and we not the hardest. Midnight, so we were playing on hard. Yeah, yeah. we were we were playing. On, I I was like, well, there's four of us. Let's try it on hard. Yeah, and I lo- yeah, I loaded this in on. I don't hard. Think hardest was unlocked for me. Yeah. No, no, no. The hardest, no. hardest that exists in the game isn't unlocked at first, but the hardest but that was available. Open, yeah. Midnight, yeah. Um, and so yeah, I'm like, it's. I I think that like they have those moments of like tension and pressure, but like they just aren't in the world in that way. I wanted to like stumble upon that. Uh, mm. And we never like had that one or in our playtime. Yes, yeah, I was just gonna say it sounds like a little bit of um, maybe just like it's got a slow a, a slow burn start where like you think a lot of games might have gotten most of their mechanics out a little faster. Like we would might have seen that hit like earlier, and then it would have changed how we were playing like mid mission, like mid those missions, right? Because then we would. St- have to start sneaking about because if every single time any one of us got caught out right would happen like it would fill that bar like it would fundamentally change how we were going about moving in that world right well i will say so somebody did write in uh just just warning us because we sort of held out the the possibility that um uh somebody uh somebody responded to what i what i sort of mentioned on the last podcast rob wondered if maybe redfall got better slash more systemic in the mid to late game it does not. I don't know exactly how far you all played, but that first map puts you on uh, the one that might kind of feel like the tutorial area. That's 50% of the game, and you will see every enemy type by the end of it. The missions immediately mm-hmm. before the Vampire God boss fights, uh, where you do some more dishonor type stuff, are the only things you probably didn't get to uh, that are different in a meaningful way, and there's only three of them in the entire game. So I played one of those. No. Uh, that was what the that that was what the press event was 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 playing the pre vampire god bot like mission for the hollow man. It was the best part of the game, and I've seen nothing yeah. like it so far. Like like that sequence was built around uh, quick spoilers here. Uh, do any do any of us care? Do any mm. of us care? no? Okay, thank God. Uh, basically, that entire segment was built around going into the house that the hollow man used to live in. Uh, and like finding dolls by looking at a tiny dollhouse version of the house on inside of oh, the yeah, attic. This was the B- I was looking was at this copy. B-roll when you yeah. when you went to the event, and I I watched a, a, a chunk of that level, and it was the most arcane, like ass arcane, or like even just traditional single. Like it was just it looked good. It looked good and interesting. I was like, oh wow, this is what you're running into while you're exploring this bigger space like oh this could be good yeah i like had this experience of like how the fuck am i gonna find these dolls because i found one of them just like in the world and then i was like well where are the others gonna be and then i remembered where i found it while i was looking at the dollhouse where i placed it and that feeling of like oh i see how i can go about doing this uh the other thing that like happened in that sequence was right before i came up upon that house there was like a group of like the like spotlight vampires that like detect you uh, that were like hanging out there and I like managed to like physics and like platform my way onto a building that I wasn't sure if I should have been able to get onto behind one of them and then did like a silent sniper rifle sequential takedown of all of these like spotlight vampires before engaging the cultists underneath and like that was the best moment of the demo for me was was that little sequence there and there's just like 
the fact that there are only three of those missions in the game is such a fucking bummer. Hearing that where it's like, even if you're trying to beat the game on its most like on the friendliest terms and like go where it's, where it's strongest, it sounds like there might not be enough of the game at its best uh, to, to fully justify the investment. But I don't know. Like it was just like it, the, the, my main takeaway here is just like, I think some of what we said was we were so we gave the game the most favorable shot we possibly could playing it as a group, as a co-op shooter and playing it solo. I'm realizing, no, that actually might be the game's weakest, uh, weakest <laughs> aspect right now because playing it solo felt much more hooked still with a ton of issues. The stability stuff is really, really rough. Uh, like it is still a really like high friction game, to invest time in, but I was struck by like how much more interested, like interesting, like moving around the world was. I was I wonder struck four by- is too many as well, right? You know, like four, you know, even the notion of going to this store, like more structured designer section that, that the, you know, the, the, the reader's describing that Ren is describing the idea of like coordinating four people for some sort of like pseudo stealth effort sounds incalculably hard, yeah. but I can imagine doing it with two people, right? I can yeah. imagine, coordinating like i can imagine like i wonder some of the calculation here is like it's just not it doesn't work nearly as well with four right but like two people you can be like you can figure out how you're approaching a scenario and executing it um and there's still a failure of the game to like allow for four and like ha- maybe have a bad time as a result but i wonder if like the secret there is like actually like as a co-op game, like a two-player co-op game, maybe that ends up being your sweet spot uh, on some of that stuff because it's very easy to imagine like coming across these wider scenarios and having a lot of fun with two people where you'd be able to maintain some level of of like going loud and going quiet. Uh, if you'd like to learn how hard co-op stealth is, you can go back to the man-hunting crossover streams where Rob, Alex Navarro, and Dee Lucina and I played Payday 2 and fucking slammed our head against some of those goddamn missions. Yeah. Uh, Hell. Hell. Yeah. This is harder than four, like, I mean, that's four, play, four people with a gun. Like, it's, that is just a very difficult thing to... Well, it reminds me a bit of, like, honestly, like Ghost Recon Breakpoint was a lot of fun playing solo. Austin and I had some magical times playing that together. But then when I was playing with, like, larger crews, I was like, this is just dipshits in the jungle just, like, mowing down waves of mercs. Like, it was, like, right. all the cool stuff just, like, bled out of it. Because, ultimately, the game didn't really throw anything together that forced you to think more beyond just, like, see target, hit target. Uh, whereas like playing alone, playing two people, it was much more like, it felt like the tuning didn't adjust like two people. You were forced to like maximize what your character could do and what your mm-hmm. weapons kit could do at four people. It was like, I don't know, everyone just get your ARs out and just like go ham. That's it. And, and here I think, you know, Patrick, even small things like I felt totally disconnected from my weapons in our four player, uh, yeah. thing in part because like, I think everyone's plinking away at vampires. And so the animations are reacting to hits, but they might be someone else's hits. Like the numbers are flashing as the things getting tagged playing it alone. There's a much, now it's much clearer to read like, okay, now it feels like my weapon is like engaging with this target and is reacting to me. And Whereas, frankly, what weapon you're using matters. Yeah. Like I, I, I stopped thinking about what weapon I was firing with. Like, I mean, there was short, medium, long-term, like, you know, like I was thinking yeah. maybe in terms of but distance. But ultimately you're just all vessels of DPS. 
Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. I'm just shooting, and they're like, oh, they died. Well, I wanted to stake them, but someone else threw a stake. You know what I mean? Like, it was not, there was, like, very little investment in the moment-to-moment encounters in a way that then had me sort of checking out of of, ca- so of caring about that there stuff. is something else I kind of wonder if they chickened out on here. I once, I, I backed into a build this way because I didn't understand how important it is to see the weapon with the fucking stake bayonet on it. Mm-hmm, I didn't yeah. realize why, like, you got free stakes, but then we had stake launchers. I back, I fell backwards into a build just because I kept getting high-level weapons without, like, built-on stakes. I fell backwards into a build where none of my weapons were, like, stake-equipped. And... I found myself in a couple of vampire fights where I was like, I can't kill these fucking things. Where, when, when do I get the stake option? How do I how do I stake these things? And I couldn't kill them. And eventually I realized what the issue is. And I put a stake launcher in the inventory. And now it's just like, get them down, pop them. And I was sitting there. I was like, this game was so much more fun for those like five minutes when I couldn't kill the vampires. For those five minutes when I was like the bellwether mercs, which was just like. When the bellwether mercenaries are fighting the vampires, you see them bring the vampire down, stun it, and then it begins its recharge loop. And like, they're just stuck in that, in that feedback loop of the vampire can't make progress, but they can't kill it. Right. The game was super interesting in those five minutes where I was like, I can beat these things ass, but I can't kill them. <laughs> and I almost like felt like, was there a version of this where like having the assets to actually kill the vampires was going to be slightly more metered that it was going to be a slightly like, Tricky. Like, you, you can run into this building, take out two of them, and maybe then the window of regeneration is longer, where it's like, hey, you've got two minutes to loot. To get away. Yeah, exactly. Get, get the exactly. Hell out. Right. But instead, the game is so generous with like two of your weapons will have the melee option to stake them, and then you'll have a stake launcher. And so they just become an enemy with like the silly little second step to kill them. But in those five minutes where I couldn't kill them, I was mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is riveting. See, this is the thing, is that like I feel like Redfall lacks friction, but there is some texture there, and it makes the lack of friction all the more apparent. It's like putting your hand over a surface that you feel like that, like you're you look at the surface and you're like, I know how that surface should feel, and then you run your hand across it, and it's like that's not how that's supposed to feel. This is wood veneer, not actual grain, uh, or like this is uh, this is a piece <laughs> of plastic uh, that's like meant to look like a rock. Uh, this feels weird and bad. Uh, that is how Redfall feels at times for me, where you can see, you can see everything there and then you touch it and it's like, Ugh. yeah, it's like the last thing I'll say is um, I did this little <laughs> the popcorn popper mission turned out to be pretty good. You go into the <laughs> old timey theater. It's a very arcane environment. It's very well realized. Uh, the idea is a vampire named Lumiere has taken residence and is making the hollow men cultists bring them food effectively. They have a recruitment center set up out front of the theater and people think they're like, I'm throwing in with the vampires, but they're actually being fed to Lumiere. Um, (laughs) Also implied in this is again, kind of cool world, but they're running out of, they're running out of humans to eat. There is a, there is a like, they have depopulated the food stock of Redfall, and there is beginning to be like a blood shortage crisis that the vampires are up against because, like, they're starting to look at the cultists, like, well, we could just eat them. And the cultists are aware of it, and all this is starting to get like unpacked in sort of the dialogue <laughs> and the notes. But anyway, uh, so I tried to fight Lumiere, and one, it just wasn't going to go well because I snuck up on them, I went invisible. 
busted out my like heaviest, nastiest sniper rifle. Again, they didn't see me there, so I had all day to like line up that headshot, fired, took off like one pixel of health on their bar. Uh, and then they brought the fucking Vex shield up and I was like, Oh, I'm not gonna, this is not going to go well for me. I've seen this movie before, except now I'm stuck in the basement of a theater with this thing. Yeah. But the other thing that was crazy was, uh, the world went black and I was stuck. Kyle, do you remember at the end of the, uh, solo, the single player campaign for the Taken King, Uh you end up in that, that battle, where there's like a like a pool of fog around yeah, yeah. the very small area of play that you can see in and then beyond that things are just like just coming in and out yeah, yeah. yeah. that happens <laughs> but it's centered on you right like as you are running the 10 feet around you become visible and beyond that it is a black starless night oof, oof. and so all your ability to control distance and like i like see threats approaching vanishes to nil while you're fighting this vampire. It was scary as hell. Uh, and Uh, seemed like it would have been a really awesome time. Um, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't finish that boss battle, uh, cause I didn't have the gear for it, but it was like, there are cool ideas there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a weird thing because like I came away from the four person experience being like, this thing is irretrievably broken. Nothing here is working. And playing the solo experience, I came away much more like, okay, there's something, and I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's like going to get to good, but like, it's a hell of a lot more interesting than it was when it was like four people wandering around the world, just like (sighs) popping shots off. And then, you know, that, that, that point, you know, Renan made about, you know, did, did they just chop up? one character into four slices, you start to wonder is the original sin of this game at all choosing to engage with more than a single player. Mm-hmm. Cause if you start to work your way back towards what the game is doing well, despite all that, you can start to imagine. And again, that just I takes you-, you back to, I mean, maybe it's wishful thinking of like, well, that just takes <laughs> you back to the games they always make. And like, does that make any sense in this environment these days? And this is the entire reason Redfall exists is because perhaps understandably it's like, look, the scope, scale, budget of these games, just immersive sims are difficult to make in this environment. Um, you'd hope something like Game Pass would allow you to kind of buttress that a little bit and get away with it. But, you know, I don't know. This was this stuff. This game was in development long before um, the acquisition stuff occurred uh, or is roughly around the same era. Um, I don't know. But it is hard not to start to engage in the like, well, if they just done the, way, the thing the way they well, always uh- did it, this setting is very cool and could have been a lot of fun. Is there a bit of uh, sorry, just to like like get this thought out? Uh, is there also a bit of like is this game the product of I don't know say say at the time they begin concepting this like it's still the traditional arcane style game hasn't like like really met Zenimax's expectations like we need to think about something like broader like mm-hmm. appeal and. Would moving into the Game Pass world have made it more feasible? Just be like, yeah, fuck it. Like, make another Death Just the make Outsider. the game that you're good at, yeah, right? Yeah, just, just do um, that because, like, our business model will let you do that. But instead, they're kind of stuck with this thing, which was very much a... It feels very much like the pitch, at least, may have been a one for the studio uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. Where it's like, show well, us... We thought we've had that conversation with. how many times? Like, what is the yeah. future of the immersive sim? It is probably trying to find a way to broaden it and take the elements that people adore about it and fit it awkwardly or not into other shapes and sizes and like this is a i think a you know clear example of an attempt to do some of that and 
like, you know, the results are, you know, painfully awkward, but, but I think maybe like fall within that, like, shit, how do we, how do we do both? How do we keep what the studio is good at, but then put it in a framework that's more commercially viable? And I guess, yes, you would hope Rob that maybe one of the consequences of this might just be like, Hey, yes, teams should do the things that they want to do and they should feel free to experiment. Is that what happened here? Or was this like a meeting of creative and commercial yeah. and the result is something like really messy. And if this team like actually is capable of much more, hopefully Spencer or whoever can go to them and say like, okay, what's the game that you act, you know, it's not Redfall two. Like what's the thing that you want to make and like fits the strengths of the, of the studio. Kato, sorry. We, we stomped over. Oh, you were- no, no worry. Yeah. I was just going to point out that I felt like the, um, the amount of overlap there is within all of the the abilities as well definitely makes it feel like this was maybe a one player idea originally that got split into okay we'll have a do dual co-op and then they've split it again yeah. into yeah. four people a third time because like once friend so said it feels like one character is split four ways yeah. i can't unsee I haven't it been able like to shake every it. moment yeah. i'm every like single time. these environments all feel like if yeah. i had at least give me two character sets yeah it would exactly. be more interesting than uh, what's happening here. And it almost feels like it, it might even be like like Patrick was alluding to earlier, just oh, still okay multiplayer in with two people, right? And like you can kind of mix and match which two because there's, again, a lot of overlap between like this one has movement abilities that'll help you get up to higher places. This one has a little bit of healing depending on how you like go down the tree. Like it feels like the tree is mostly there to fill in the, the gaps of, well, these are the two that you have available to you now. So one of you is going to have to go healing instead of damage in the, in your ultimate or whatever. Right. Like um, it definitely feels like that's what most of the, the web is filling out is like what combination yeah. of, of two or three or whatever. Because if you my, have my little scalper still sucks ass. Like <laughs> fuck that guy. Like I sent that thing through an alley because I was but like, it, I can't see what's around the corner. So like Bird, go see. Go Bird couldn't see shit. Bird like missed guys standing around to, the corner. Are you supposed to send Dip it through Raven. walls? Isn't that the whole point? I was either way. I was sending it, but like it, they were in the radius. Like I was, it was sending the, it. It was in up the. Ra- it wasn't working. It, was it like wasn't working. <laughs> literally around the corner. Yeah. 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 The um the last point I'd, I'd make that because I think it sort of encompasses sort of like the broader point that we're you know trying to to pick at here is that and I think we're seeing a lot of this with Suicide Squad as well like these games have gotten so expensive so uh labor intensive and so time incentive to create like the games of this scale are not made like a game like Jedi Survivor where it's like spun up and like delivered three years later exception. Studios are not going to be able to pull that off. These games are four to five years at minimum. The industry changes so much in five years. Like, it's not hard to imagine why a Suicide Squad, a game where, like, in theory, sure, I'd love to play a, a Justice League-style game um, from the developers of the ba- of, of Arkham Asylum, but then you see all the glowing, like, items and weapon stuff, and it's like, this feels like 2017. And you know what? That does not feel good in 2023. And... I, there are like not great solutions to that because you you always have to kind of project forward on like what where are trends like what are we building around. But I feel like increasingly we're seeing games get into trouble when they arrive like burst out and it's like oh no people are over this like almost regardless of how well they did or didn't execute on the idea and that is just increasingly going to be a problem for 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 games that are chasing a trend 
because like how much can you truly pivot, you know, three years into that project? I mean, Suicide Squad was a game that got like, uh, you know, announced with a release date at a PlayStation state of play. People we didn't talk about it like we always kind of had it like in our <laughs> list of things to maybe talk about. We just never quite quite got to it. But the negative response to that was so intense that like they're celebratory. We finally have a release date like announcement and it'll be out in like three or four months. Immediately, the game was delayed by like nine months. And I can only imagine it's to try and like strip around what they have. And it's like, ugh, how do we how do we not like make people curl like back at what we're doing, even though that is the game we built? <laughs> and it's like, I don't that's a really tough question to answer. But I think it's facing a lot of these games. Um. Yeah, you know, Patrick, you mentioned uh, Jedi Survivor, you know, being Damn. being a bit of an oddity, but you also had an experience this weekend. You were saying like the game has not truly begun. Your the scales oh, have fallen God. from your eyes as to what this game is. Yeah, so I I have quite liked Jedi Survivor. Uh, you know, to the when when we chatted about it last, and then and kind of like I mean like <laughs> so the cross guard is the final. Like the game doesn't have weapons per se, right? But it has stances, and those stances then change the lightsaber in important ways. You will have like the game starts with your standard, uh, like got a lightsaber in your hand, and you swing that around, and then you've got one that uh, you know splits it in two. So you got like two tiny lightsabers. You got one that like makes it to a really big lightsaber that like is used for wide attacks. You've got another uh, the blaster one that is like a blaster in one hand and a and a lightsaber in the other, and then the final. <laughs> stance that you find is called cross guard and it's just like yo does it make sense that this lightsaber is gonna suddenly feel like it's five thousand pounds no but would it be sick as hell to just sort of don't worry about it (laughs) and essentially have like the equivalent of a great axe from dark souls in in a star wars game and it turns out it rules like it feels so good to be like parry parry at each parry which are like harder to execute and like your attacks are like so sweeping and slow like it's just dismantling their stamina and then this this poor little motherfucker is just standing there and you just sweep back with just like the longest three second animation and just rip through their body it and it dark feels sided, my friend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh i mean look the um Star Wars is a series that like dances around the fact uh, or like as a franchise dances around the fact that you have these sabers that can cut through things and should be dismantling like flesh constantly. And although uh, and Fallen Order did this a little bit, and I think Jedi Survivor leans into a little bit more of like, look, limbs are just going to fall off. Limbs are falling off all the time in in Jedi Survivor. Um, and so that that part, like, look. It would it would just happen. Even the even the Jedi with the best of intentions would have to execute a quick a, a quick time sequence in which they <laughs> they rip off the arms of a noble beast that they have encountered in, in, into a cave. Um, it's just it's it's the most fundamentally different playing stance in the game. It makes it feel like just really different to be in in a fight where you just like again you feel like you have a very heavy weapon um, because the other ones. All the other stances feel like it's just a variation of a, a fairly fast weapon. And that um, uh, this just, like, it has become my favorite stance immediately. It is the primary way that I play. There is probably something to the fact that it feels like 
the most soulsy. Like I just feels like, Oh, I've dropped into the star Wars aesthetic, but also now I have like a giant great sword that I'm swinging around as well. But I get the oh, advantage yeah. of being able to quickly switch to something really fast to like deal with like combat in a, in a different way. And it's just, it's awesome. It feels good. Um, and I, I, I cannot, I kind of like, you just get cross guard. Yeah. <laughs> when you, when you get there, it's like, Oh shit. I know that I have two slots for stances. I don't anymore. I have cross guard, cross guard and, and then I have slot. another one that I need to switch every once in a while oh. kind of for variety's sake. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of, I've fallen into dual wielding and, and, and cross guard are the, the two that are like, I find like, it's like I have a fast one and a slow right. one. And like right. that has made uh, me a very happy playing, but is it's so good. And if anything, it like sort of makes me wish, cause I've, 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 gotten all the stances at this point right. and there's still powers to unlock and things like that there's but it's more like in the movement ability section i know they've said they want to do another one of these and it's like i hope the response to cross guard like is such that there is just a man like who cares if it like makes sense like <laughs> this is sick like yeah. just lean into the fact that like let the lightsaber be a fundamentally different type of weapon based on like movement speed and like player ability because it would be fun and just like sort out the lore details, you know, later. later. And it kind yeah. of feels like that's what they've done here. And it's just, it's tremendous. It's, it's really good. I had a great uncharted sequence. Like the exploring stuff has gotten better now that I have more movement abilities. It's just, Hell it's yeah. a really great game. I think a really great sequel to what was already a pretty good game uh, in, in Fallen Order. Fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. It did. I say, I say that multiple times. <laughs> like, like it's a yeah. game whose combat I have, the way I describe like Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor's combat is like, I like it. Uh-huh. I don't love it, but I like it. And it fits a style that is, I find very pleasing. And then I got the cross guard and yet, like the fuck yeah's emerged. Like there's a very specific, like <laughs> that kind of feeling that you will get in these types of games. I don't think the enemy design, I don't think the animation design is, is, is there. But this weapon is like the most like, oh, shit, I just I just stepped into a from software game, which is like the highest compliment you can probably give to a game that is trying to play in that space. And it's still doing its own thing. It doesn't feel copycat, but it's uh, like every time I collide with that parry and then set someone up in it for just a sweeping attack is just. It's delicious. It's extremely good. So, Kato, keep playing. And then I mean, let yeah, me know. I'm, I'm excited. I, 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 when you get there, like, you'll know. Like, right. you'll the first time you swing it, you'll go, oh, 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 okay. Yeah. I know what this game is now for me. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're, you know, we're coming up on the time where we usually start wrapping up. Shall we Shall we dip into the question bucket here? Ooh, let's go swimming. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's decant another vintage question. You Alex you didn't Rice. do one between Redfall and Jedi Survivor. Rob, Rob, you broke the format <laughs> <laughs> that we invented a podcast to go. Preciously observed every episode. Uh, oh, that reminds me. Well, now we <laughs> let's dip into the question bucket before we call it a day here. Remember, you can send us all your questions. All right, well, maybe not too many of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can send us all our questions. I mean, I'm sure we are gonna we'll do some sort of question a thon hey, at some yeah. point. Listen, you can wonder. That's true. You can hey, imagine folks. how we might have answered it. <laughs> Give can- in to the astonishment of not having your question answered on this podcast. As Alex probably did, uh, <laughs> after we didn't respond to this when it was sent 26 March 2017. 
Hi, y'all. I'm writing with a question that stems from perhaps a unique background experience growing up. And until recently, I was always fortunate to have a group of friends who I gamed with and with whom I could talk about all aspects of gaming. As such, I was pretty blissfully disconnected from the online gaming community at large. No Twitter, no Reddit, no forums, no angry comment sections on websites. The extent of my interaction online would be checking websites for new uh, for news. And then I had a small group of like minded friends that I could always talk and hang out with. It was pretty great. This fall, though, I moved to a small town hours away from where I was. I haven't been making many friends and, as such, haven't really had the thrill of sharing my hobbies and interests with people like I used to. As such, I've been turning more and more to what is available online. Thank you so much for the website and podcast. It has been a tremendous boon. However, one thing I've been noticing as I venture further and further online is a few of my favorite games and franchises seem to have some not-so-great fan bases. Some of it I can dismiss, uh, but there's been one franchise, Shin Megami Tensei, um, in which I have seriously begun to question my own attraction to the games because the people online seem so unpleasant and, well, juvenile. A question for Renata. Let's fucking go. I was going to say, I feel like we have someone born from the depths uh, to to, 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 to step out and answer this. (laughs) In fact, when this question was sent, Ren... Is, there's a chance you were you were in those depths what, because this is what this time is, is this? Is six, when was this question? This is six years ago, uh, five years ago, spring 2017. I was playing Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse in the chair in my grandmother's house when this question was sent. <laughs> uh, it's strange because it's not like I have to interact with these people, but at the same time, it makes me feel slimy for having a shared interest or like there may be something wrong with my liking the games. So that's my question to y'all. Has a game's fan base ever made you question your own feelings towards a game? How do you separate your liking a game from however you may feel about the rest of the people who may like it as well? Thanks again for everything. All my best, Alex. Hey, Rob, how do you feel about Warhammer? Great. <laughs> like, I, like, here's the thing. Where I've come, like... I yeah. used to like, like hand ring about this. Like, ooh, I know. Like, like I like fuck Warhammer. I play war games, okay. And like, there's people who are like straight up like, I like World War Two games. And you know why? Because I like Nazi shit. That's that. Like, you will share that community with people who are like that. And my position on this is, yeah, okay. Like, they should leave. I'm not. Like, the, the I I am so over the whole like. I like I felt this way for a time where it was like, I don't even know if I want to be here with these people mm. and like share an interest. I, I don't like thinking I have anything in common with them at all. And I certainly don't know if I want to like hang out in this community. There's, uh, there's but, well, I was yeah, just going to say, on. there's also a, a, a difference between other people like this thing and you are in in physically or like community wise in actually the same spaces where you have the option to push them out right like being in a game a wargaming club and nobody doing anything about the skin like the nazi skinhead that's a different thing than being like i like war games and i know that nazi skinheads also play because they like nazi yeah. shit right like that's a different yeah. sort of like situation and people kind of conflate the two a lot Right. And and so like that's like I that's where I've ended up coming down in time is the attitude that like I know I like a thing. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who also like the same thing who are not fucking weird about it. And so I don't feel implicated by that. And I actually don't feel too much uh angst about like having to examine it because like I'm pretty confident in my values and also the people who tend to approach her from this ang- other angle are like pretty reprehensible dumbasses uh, with whom I like I observably don't have a lot in common. But it does mean that like you do have to like 
And I, and I feel like this is a very like of the moment question in some ways, because I think at various points, all of us also had that moment where it's like, I really like talking about these games or sharing this interest with people. But if you go to the place where it's like the largest tent, where all the people who like share this one thing and are interested in this one game are residing, you're going to discover a lot of those people you detest mm-hmm. and like you don't want to be under the same roof as them. And a lot of what online culture did was it busted up and vectored us away from like smaller self-contained communities and pushed us into these giant buckets uh, and in the process kind of destroyed any joy of community uh, mm-hmm. that, that you get from that. And so like I, I sympathize, I think to, to a degree, I think like my answer to this has, has been in a lot of ways to pull away from uh, the broader online communities uh, in those spaces. And it's more like there are Warhammer nerds in a place like the waypoint discord. Mm-hmm. That's a place to go hang out and like talk Warhammer. And right. like those will be, cool normal people who can also recognize that like warhammer is ridiculous and like super weird and has like a messy relationship with its satire at best but will also be fun to like hang out and shoot the shit and like discuss warhammer with i'm not going to go to like a dedicated warhammer community and go hang out there because like i don't know what i'm gonna find there and i'm not super interested in navigating it so that's where I come down. But uh, yeah, Ren, you, you had your own arc here. I also think that like if you like critically engage with the work, it puts you in a different position, right? Like I, one of the things that I really love with about Shimigami Tensei is like a, a particular critical reading of the series that I have developed over the course of like the you know many years that I've been playing it, and like that is a very personal relationship to the text. And I think that like if you ground your personal relationship to how something gives you meaning and like really think about it in a meaningful in like a in, in like a deep way. It's fine. Like, I, listen, I love Violet Evergarden. I fucking love that show. It is, like, one of the most important, like, pieces of, like, media in my life. That show's got some fucked shit in it. Like, if, even if you set aside the community for a moment, like, you can engage with compromised media as long as you do so intentionally. And that stands for communities as well. You just have to engage with those communities with intentionality and, like, make sure you are building make sure you're building actual relationships with like the people there and with like people in your life, as opposed to just like staring and lurking at forums and wondering if like lurking on forums mm. makes you a Nazi. Uh, Cause it uh, d- doesn't, but also don't lurk on those forums. It's fine. Just go like hang out with other people. There are other people. I think, I think the last thing I'll say on this too is like, it, it is worth paying attention to like who is running those communities. Like I yeah. use like, a community that was like really formative for me was like a wargaming community. But the thing that like started to really push me away from it was as things started to get more pointed and like the disagreements among forum members started to get harder to sort of paper over. It was clear that like the reactionaries had way more latitude to act out on the forum. And if you were like left leaning even a little bit and like you fired back you like here came the ban hammer here came the discipline here came and so like right i would watch that forum like go from a pretty healthy mix of like yeah there's some like absolute like lunatics here uh who've gotten like this was like sort of pre-fox news like really taking off but it was still like you know right-wing media pilled 
And then there's also a lot of folks that, um, you know, would have, again, we're in a pre Chapo world, but like these were folks who were kind of waiting for a dirtbag left type stuff to sort of emerge. And I sort of watched the, not not to say either of those things was like the goofus and gallant of forum culture. <laughs> like the, the, the issues there, both like there were issues there, uh, you know, across the board. But the thing that was striking to me was in the end, the moderation and the most senior members all like leaned toward the more reactionary slant of things. And over time, to me, it felt like I was watching them destroy the forum because more and more of the people that I identified with and who, like, could take a step back and look at these things a little more, um, a little more responsibly, uh, maybe also a little more levelly, those folks were, like, being driven off. Uh, and the worst people in that community were kind of being empowered to start fights because it was a way to get people they didn't like removed. And so that's that's the other thing that, uh, you know, I, I tend to when I look at these things. You will. You will you will be able to tell a lot about like how a community polices itself, right? Like what is you know, what is viewed as like acceptable uh, and and what is viewed as like sort of out of bounds. And that kind of tells you whether you can whether you, it's it's going to be worth staying there. I think to a degree it can be worth hanging out there and like standing around and, and picking your fight a little bit uh, provided there will be some measure of like support in that community uh, to sort of like try to contain or remove the bad actors. But if it is clear that like, you know, every time you speak up for someone speaks up for your values or something adjacent to them, uh, they get shut down. Then it's time to go look for like, where does this, where does the shard of this community exist within a community that is like closer to my values. Uh, and that's where that's where I'm going to go. I will also say the other trick here, at least for me, is to participate in communities that are not like that do not become like core identity pillars. Mm-hmm. Like like hang out with people who like the thing, but do not define themselves by the thing, because at least in my experience, when folks define themselves by the particular thing, uh, it can often lead to like this could be anecdotal, but I've seen reactionary shit develop there a lot more quickly. At it's least true. It's true, but it is tricky. Like, if I want to go hang with like-minded people to talk about like Warhammer or something yeah. or World War II, uh, like games or just like history shit, I'm not going to go to um, like I'm not going to be like oh I've heard good things about the Waypoint community. I'm going to go there. I, like you know to a degree you'll want to yeah, find yeah, your, yeah. you start your search for where are people with like shared interests congregating. And that is, and so right away you end up with kind of a bias toward here we are and it's our identity, yeah, uh, which is, right. which is kind of a, a kind of a weird thing. Um, I think the the thing I really miss here is just like, you know, uh, like I, I, I don't think, I don't think following games news has ever been as fun for me as when I was a kid and like games news came via magazines Mm -hmm. and like the occasional like post on a website and you talk about it with your nerd friends and like, you know, live that life. Uh, (laughs) And I don't think, uh, you know, modern online culture has replicated that any replicated that to any degree, but it does feel like to a substantial degree, 
the media that supported that kind of engagement have also kind of been devastated. Yep. So, you know, bummer. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, Calvin uh, from Ohio writes, hello, hello, Waypointless. I'm a librarian. I've been working through the last few years to start purchasing books from my library on video game development, history, and criticism. While doing this, I discovered Boss Fight Books, a series of short books, each of which focuses on a single specific game, sort of like 33 and a third, but for games instead of albums. They haven't all been winners, uh, though I think Rob in particular would love the NBA Jam book, but it got me thinking, what game do you think you could write an entire book on? Fuck capitalism, go home, Calvin. And we all have some time coming, so... Are these books, uh, like, just in... Like personal essays, or are they like his, historical documents? I've never but read like any of the, them. Uh, it's a mix, I think, boss fight. But like, there's there's like research, like this is a like oral history of this game, or mm. uh, like a little more scholarly. I'm, I mean, I think that like I speaking for myself, I've like started these projects before, not a book, but like video essay series, hundred percent. Like I, I started like a video essay series about like the Stalker games, uh, and like still have like the notes for that. Uh, and wanted to like look at like Chernobyl uh, and like depictions of of Chernobyl and like nuclear disaster uh, broadly in media through through like a very particular lens. Like I I have started that project before. Um, that is that is my answer. So that's your answer. So it's like the Stalker series for you is like the the Stalker series and the media surrounding it yeah. more broadly, right? Like I would love to do like a five part thing that looks at Stalker the movie, the three Stalker games. Uh, and Chernobyl, the TV show, uh, mm-hmm. or like Chernobyl and Annihilation, and like really like puts those things in conversation with one another. That would be my big project. Kato, if you get if you get a fellowship, what is your uh, what is your book or uh, deep dive? I don't. I mean. It feels ridiculous to say because it's probably been done to death already, but Metal Gear, like something as always like called to me about the fucking turns that series takes. Um, and I would love to spend more time kind of examining that, but it does feel a little bit like I'm there's been this has to there has to have been so many essays books whatever written on that thing already that exists people <laughs> always read more about metal gear though is the thing like it is that kind like you know i mean it is that kind of series where i don't i don't know that you hit well and reality keeps warping in weird ways that, yeah. like how you would regard metal gear changes every decade god yeah fucking memes am i right <laughs> yeah. he said it meme gene scene <laughs> <laughs> Stupid, <laughs> Patrick. Uh, it was funny because I was looking it up. I was like, "Did someone do this on Boss Fight?" And they did technically. There's technically a book about Spelunky, but it's written by mm-hmm. Derek Yu, and it is an autobiographical book about uh, Spelunky. So I think my answer still fits because I think there's so much. Well, one, I think Spelunky, for you know, by my measure, is like probably as close to like a perfect game as I can imagine. I think it is more or less like untouchable. Um, and like a lot of that fueled why I was like broadly disinterested in Splunky 2. It's like, I didn't need it. I'm good. Like you did it. You made the masterpiece. Um, 
But Spelunky, I think, arrives at like a really interesting time as a game because it is a uh, is a game that uh, introduces an enormous amount of friction for players at an era in which there is a lot of hand holding uh, happening in uh, a lot of like more on the big budget style of video games. But it is it is very much like this is like Gears of War, right? Like this is an era in which like hey. We're gonna we gonna, we made the big set piece. Like you need to see it. We don't want you to die. Like we want you know we need you to hit uh, the Y button so like the camera will focus on it. Because, uh, and so it it arrives in a, in a very it arrives around the same time as like you know Demon Souls, Dark Souls, like in which there is a sort of like differing like no we don't actually have to treat players this way. Um, that aligns personally with like the kinds of games I was playing, games like Spelunky and Dark Souls, fundamentally changing my own own approach to the kinds of games I, I appreciate. Um, you know, you have the the whole Xbox Live arcade and what that did for like raising awareness and appreciation for certain styles of games, making them commercially viable uh, in a way that they, they weren't necessarily before. So there is a lot in Spelunky that you that I could explore personally and just like what that game like represents like individually and sort of collectively uh, for like a very specific moment in time for, for video games. Yeah. I'm like, God, there's so many, like to me, it's, there's so many things that I would like absolutely love to do a deep dive history on. Right. Like uh, my first instinct, just cause it's one of my favorite games of all time. And I don't think it's like, kind of well known enough still and also i just i would love to know more about its production would be like game like last express right mm-hmm. um like you know the decision to split off the physical acting from the voice acting because you're using rotoscoped animation has always struck me as a fascinating one that like they were like we have to we're gonna cast the people who look perfectly like these characters and then we're gonna get the voices from a, another source entirely mm-hmm. uh the fact that like you know, game consumed a tremendous amount of budget because there was so much like uh, we are going to lovingly recreate and recover like Orient Express, like rail cars from the period to try and like, uh, you know, get across what this what this world looks like. Uh, the the fact that the adventure unfolds in real time. And so it has to like. It has to like windows possibly have to open and close in real time for puzzle solutions to work um, like stuff like that. I think kind of fascinates me. That is that would probably be like my the easiest project, I think, that I could like sort of pitch and 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 run with. Um, yeah, though, I think like the other thing that I would be like strongly tempted to do would be like a like a tour through the space combat shooter, right? Like going from, you know, games like the original elite, uh, but like really looking at stuff like the Lucas game stuff, um, the free space series. Mm. And then, then weird offshoots like, um, Oh gosh. Um, independence war, uh, being, being an example, like just the, the different directions that that, genre took and like how big it got for a moment before it kind of collapsed in on itself um you know with the advent of you know really i feel like the original xbox era kind of marks time uh for when this genre really began to terminally decline uh but yeah those are those are probably my picks um you know just really get into my bullshit and stare deeply uh at my obsessions uh let's see here yeah, I think that, you know, I think that's a show. I think we could that's wrap it there. Aw. Congrats, podcast. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us. I'm at I'm at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Kata, where can people follow you? At a underscore uh hmm. <laughs> Just a underscore Kato underscore appears. Open with a banger, close with a banger. The Kato way. Patrick. Uh, at at Patrick Klepik. Ren. At Renata or Raven. No, that's not even true. It's at Ren or Raven. Yeah. Use my whole last name. <laughs> Woo! We are just unraveling here. Uh, Who can say where I am? You can check out what we used to publish on (laughs) waypoint.vice.com. And thanks to Waypoint Plus, we lasted longer than you would have thought. (laughs) Certainly longer than we would have thought when when these emails uh, came in. Uh, If that sounds good... Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed I'm Waypoint. Glad, glad you think it sounds good. Our theme, hey, music, our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Real quick, though, waypointgeneralstore.com is back up, right? It is. And people can just order. Just that's order. fine. They should just order. They should just order. People, people are like, uh, should I order? Am I like, Am I like ruining your guys' lives by like ordering stuff right now? It feels kind of weird. No. But like look, this merch ain't gonna be around for much longer. So, you know, really get it while you can. Just, yeah, this is mostly it. the thing. It's like if you want this thing, they will probably disappear. <laughs> I may have to order some of this stuff before uh before <laughs> yeah. the lights go out. Yeah. For now we're calling time on well, actually, you know what? Fuck it. We're calling time on this week. We're gonna do a rival this week this later in this week. Yeah. But uh this is the waypoint radio uh for for this week. So we'll the. talk to you again. They didn't send us Zelda early, so no reason to do another podcast this week. So see you next week. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to, you know, fuck you, capitalism. We're going home.